Well, thanks so much for joining us on Cranford Radio. Today we're at Trinity Episcopal Church at the corner of Forest and Hamilton and North Avenues, sort of on a uh, three-sided corner, a church that's been in Cranford from the 1800s, and I'm joined today by Father Andy Kruger. Father Kruger, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Bernie. It's great to be with you, and uh, hello to all your listeners. I should be uh, upfront about this. This is the second time we've done this interview. The first time we did it, I think it was in the fall, and for whatever reason, there were technical issues. So we spent all the time talking, but no one heard it except the two of us. So we're hoping for a little better luck this time around, and uh, hopefully everything will, will be working. But some of the same questions that I had asked the first time around, I want to ask a little bit about now. I think one of the things that we want to talk about is a bit about your background, just from that brief greeting People may have heard a, a bit of an accent. What accent is that? It's a South African accent. Um, so my wife Heather and myself were born in South Africa. Um, myself on the east coast side of South Africa in a town called Peter Maritzburg. I'm an Anglican priest originally. Um, the Anglican Communion is uh, a church that spans the whole world. And the United States expression of the Anglican Communion is the Episcopal Church. And so, uh, hence, I find myself here in the States as an Episcopal priest. First of all, what brought you to the United States? Coming from South Africa to Cranford, New Jersey, seems like quite a journey. It is quite a journey uh, and a very long flight, particularly if you do the layover version, which is the cheaper way to do things. The reason for coming over is that my wife Heather is an astrophysicist and she is completing a PhD at Princeton University. And so when she got in at Princeton, um, I started looking for uh, opportunities to uh, work in my vocation here in the States. And the people of Trinity Episcopal Church in Cranford were crazy enough to hire me. <laughs> Now, you mentioned the Episcopal Church is the U.S. expression of the Anglican Communion. Obviously, you had your training and, and your first parishes in South Africa. Does it differ much between a South African Anglican Church and an American Episcopal Church? There are a few differences. Um, sitting in the pews on a Sunday, you you wouldn't notice a lot of differences. The shape of the liturgy is very, very similar um, and the prayer books, uh, although they differ in little ways here and there, by and large, they are the same. I suppose one of the major differences would be that the Episcopal Church has gone the route of uh, endorsing gay marriage. As as an Episcopal priest, I am permitted to, to marry gay couples. Um, that was not something that was allowed in the South African church. Uh, as an Anglican priest, I was not permitted to conduct same-sex marriages. I think that would probably be the, the biggest uh, difference. But then there, there are several other things. Um, there's a lot more money in the American Episcopal Church uh, than what I'm used to in, in the South African church. Uh, it's certainly true to say that there's not as much money as, as was around uh, several years ago. Um, and many of my colleagues uh, remember very full churches, uh, easier to balance budgets, um, and, and that's becoming harder as less and less people... Uh, come to church and contribute to to parishes. But here in, in Cranford, we're pretty blessed. Um, we, we have a very faithful uh, and growing congregation, um, including some, some young families, which is lovely to see. 
Um, so there's some signs perhaps that the the downward spiral that seems to be um, happening in many of the mainline churches, uh, perhaps there's some light at the end of that tunnel and a, a you know, silver lining in the in the dark clouds that many see. I think most people, even if they've never been inside the doors of Trinity, are very familiar with the architecture of Trinity. And not that many years ago, they had renewed the outside architecture of the church to more resemble what it looked like when this building was first built many years ago. Tell us, though, about some of the activities. You know, everybody sees the buildings, but it's really the activities that are taking place in a church that define that church and, and what it's all about. Tell me about some of the things that are going on here at Trinity, please. As you mentioned, the the church was originally started in 1872, so we're coming up for our 150th anniversary in 2022, which is not too far away. And the the church has has always had a significant presence in in Cranford. There are a number of things that are that parishioners do and that are going on. Um, I'll start with the worship side of things. So we gather every Sunday, of course. We have two services, eight and ten a.m. Um, the 8 o'clock service is a more traditional said service. It's a right one service, so Elizabethan-styled English. And then the 10 o'clock service is a more contemporary service, more oriented towards family. We have a Sunday school um, with uh, Christian education for, for, for children. Um, they begin, the ser- begin with us uh, in the service and then uh, move out. For, for their Sunday school and then join us again for communion at the end of the service. And then during the week, we have morning and evening prayer, Tuesday to Friday, um, 8.30 a.m. is morning prayer and 5 p.m. is evening prayer. Uh, and then on a Saturday, we have centering prayer, opportunity for, for silence, um, something that's so necessary in our very busy world that... Uh, has so much stimulation coming at us, uh, so an opportunity to to just sit and to be still in in the presence of God is is uh, a really important thing here. Then, in terms of some of the outreach activities that we participate in, we're currently busy with um, providing uh, various items for the Siemens Institute. That's an annual event. Um, we have a speaker coming on uh, February twenty fourth. I think it is. Uh, to both services, um, and we'll be collecting uh, in the lead-up to that. We have a a monthly, what we call a sandwich Sunday. Um, We make up sandwiches and take them across to St. John's in Elizabeth um, and distribute those to to folks there. We have a strong connection with um, the Episcopal Church in Elizabeth called St. John's. And then we have several projects that we're involved with month by month, um, including bake sales. We support orphans in the Cameroon. There are several opportunities for for parishioners to be involved in in outreach. Another major aspect of the church is that we we have a day school, um, which is connected to the church. Uh, We have weekly chapel services for uh, some of the older kids. Um, We're working on... um, getting some spiritual education going among uh, a curriculum going among all the kids but it's uh, it's a lovely thing to have a school attached to the church because often churches are very much less busy during the weekdays and then all the hustle and bustle happens on the weekend and having a school means that there's a great deal of activity during the week and lots of comings and goings and and 
great opportunities for me to to connect with the kids during the week and if ever things are slow in the office a, a walk down to Ted's will will liven things up in my week greatly I think that gives you a snapshot of of some of what's going on here but there's there's also a lot of a lot of other things going on too now that we've talked a bit about what's going on here at Trinity, I'd like to talk a little bit about your personal journey. What brought you to being part of the Anglican Church in the first place? A very strong sense of calling. I initially grew up in the Methodist Church in South Africa, and I'm in fact the son of a Methodist minister. And around when I was in high school, um, last year of high school, I began to feel a tug in, in the direction of, uh, of full-time ministry. And in the Methodist Church, the way to test that sort of calling is to offer yourself as a local preacher um, and gives you the opportunity to journey to several different congregations uh, every month and to lead the services there. Uh, that was a, a wonderful experience. I began to to test the call, and, and I began wondering if I started to think I needed to become really sure that this is what God wanted, because you know, ministry is a, is a hard calling. It obviously comes with great joys, but there are significant demands and sacrifices that are, that are part of ordained ministry. And so I backed off a little bit, and I suddenly found myself with a theological degree, which doesn't qualify you for a whole lot uh, else besides ministry. And so I did a comprehensive BTH after that and um, picked up English as as a major subject um, with the possibility of, of going into teaching. I would then have two teaching subjects, English and Scripture Studies and um, so just before I was going to do the conversion to, to the teaching degree, I was sitting with my spiritual director who said, you know, do you really want to do the teaching thing? And, and is, do you feel a sense of vocation to that? And I said, no, my first love is still theology. And so he suggested that I continue with the, the theological studies and see where that takes me. And so I began doing a master's and honors degree. And during that time, I was offered a position as a youth pastor. And I was convinced that I did not want to be a youth pastor. I'd always been more interested in all the adult ministry as well as in uh, children's ministry. And youth, quite frankly, frightened me. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't have the typical rebellious teenage experience. And I thought without that experience, I, I wouldn't have much to offer teenagers. I reluctantly took up that offer of, of being a youth pastor, feeling against my better judgment that that's where God was calling me, and ended up having a, a fabulous experience with a, a very dynamic group of young people who um, had lots of questions and who were just as interested in theology as I was. And I was also um, very privileged to work under an exceptionally good priest who remains a good friend and mentor to me to this day. His name is Nick Denny Demetrio. I think he saw in me a, a call to more than just youth ministry and so included me in a wider exposure to, to various kinds of ministry. And on one evening, he took me along um, to the hospital. He was due to give last rites to uh, a very faithful parishioner. And in that moment and next to that hospital bed I had a very uh, powerful experience of God's calling me to be a priest in the then Anglican church and um, so followed up from there and, and went to the, the seminary in Grahamstown in South Africa which is the only Anglican seminary in the country 
but uh, yeah, the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> now, as Americans who perhaps haven't traveled to South Africa, our familiarity with the country may be things, big cities like Johannesburg, Cape Town, perhaps from the news, Soweto, they might be some uh, knowledge of. Tell me about where you grew up in South Africa. What was that like? Was it a big city? Was it more of the rural area? So as I mentioned earlier, I was born in Pietermaritzburg, which is pretty close to Durban, uh, and that's another fairly large city, and some may be familiar with where that is on the east coast of South Africa. Yeah, Pietermaritzburg is a is a fairly big city. I spent all the time I could in the outdoors, though. I um, was fortunate to grow up in a family that enjoyed uh, hiking and fishing and hunting and uh, various outdoor pursuits. And so whenever I could, I, I would be off in the bush somewhere, either hiking or fishing. And um, I had a, a wonderful exposure to being in the outdoors, but also to, to growing up in a city and, and the benefits that a city offers to, to folks. I was born during uh, the apartheid era in South Africa, and our first democratic elections happened when I think I was in grade seven. So I would have been 12 or so when the transition to a democratic South Africa happened. I remember very little of of apartheid South Africa, and I was still quite young uh, when that transition happened. But my parents have stories, particularly when my dad was stationed in the Cape Town area, um, and he served a parish of colour. And they were followed on occasion by the secret police um, who were keeping tabs on them at the time. And there, you know, there were several uh, religious um, leaders who were jailed during that time, as I'm sure many people know. So I, I grew up in a family that certainly made made it very clear to me that all human beings are created in the image of God and, and deserving of uh, respect and, and love and care. But it's still true to say that when you grow up in a culture where racism is so prolific that there are ways in which racism finds its way into your cultural upbringing. And so I suppose not dissimilar to the, to the United States where racism is still something that's very much alive. There are ways in which I have to confront the, the racism that has inculcated my being just by virtue of growing up in a place that went through such racist and colonial difficulties. You talked about the apartheid era, which ended just as you were still a, a young person, so you didn't really have a whole lot of personal experience growing up with that. But also talking about the Anglican Church, sort of the merger of those two or the overlap, I think of uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu, uh, who was a Anglican minister. Uh, was there any influence because of his prominence in any of your decisions in terms of going into the priesthood? Desmond Tutu, obviously an amazing man um, and uh, someone who was quite controversial and divisive in, in South Africa, particularly in the early days um, when he was pushing the the church in a direction that many wanted to go but there was still some resistance um and and i not not dissimilar i suppose to to today in the states where people say you shouldn't mix religion and politics 
he was certainly one who who pushed that and and said you you know you can't go to church on Sunday while your black brother and sister is enduring apartheid you know there's a there's a disconnect and a divide there and the gospel calls us to speak into that situation and if that's called politics well so be it so i think he certainly affected the way i i think about theology and while there are certainly ways in which ministers can speak unhelpfully into the political milieu i think saying nothing is is also not appropriate um and certainly our our faith does impact the way we the lens through which we view the world and and demands that we take on the role of uh, those who stand up on the side of justice and and for those who are oppressed so he certainly influenced the way i think i was fortunate enough to to meet him while i was at um the seminary in in gramstown and i've read his biography and several of his books obviously um so he's he certainly influenced my thinking but not so much my calling um i think that happened before i i really encountered uh, a lot of desmond tutu's writings we've talked about your past but let's talk a little bit about your future you mentioned your wife heather is at princeton university uh she's going for her doctorate uh, eventually obviously she'll she will get that and what happens after that do you hope to stay in the United States? Is that a time where perhaps you have to look to going back to South Africa? What what lies in store for for the Kruger family? Uh, those are good questions. Uh, I'm not sure I have all the answers to them. I think both Heather and I um, have a sense that we'd like to make the United States home for for a little longer than just her duration of the PhD. I would like to spend a, a good amount of time at Trinity, provided they they still want to have me around, and uh, and Heather is quite keen to look at postdoc options um, once the PhD is done uh, in the states. So uh, we've we've got no hard and fast plans as to when we're going back, and uh, we're in the process of um, applying for green cards. The first part of that process has. Uh, uh, has gone through already, um, and we're about to begin the the second part of that. Um, so we we're certainly wanting to make the United States home for for a little while, but not too sure on exactly how long that's that's going to be for. Oh, we've been talking on Cranford Radio with Father Andrew Kruger from Trinity Episcopal Church. Father Andy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thanks so much, Bernie. It's been good to talk with you.